0: Um, I thought I would sit with you all because what I'm sharing today is my testimony. Um, and how I used to share my testimony would be uh, a coming to of the Lord, which is our testimony. Biblically, you know, you share how you've come to know Christ and how he's changed your life. Um, what I want to share with you today is that, but I'm also going to share with you how that's continued to look. How that has looked over 23 years and how, um, wow, I, I could hear myself really well now, too, um, and how that has kind of evolved, times of wilderness I've had, hard times, and how my relationship with Jesus has evolved from being a Savior to now being my King and my Lord, my view of the Trinity. I'll share that a little bit, and how um, the different parts of God has been, have been influential in my life, how that has looked. Um, How many of you have had something you've been asked to do, and when you're first asked, you feel like, yeah, I know, yeah, I can do that. And then as time gets closer, you start feeling like, oh, what have I done? Like, am I by myself? No? Okay, look, I love, it's the teens (laughs) back there. And that has always been kind of where I've been. I've, you know, in my life been asked to do things. I get really excited and then it gets closer and I feel like, oh no, and I've even canceled out on some stuff because I felt very ill-equipped. I felt like I didn't have much to share. I felt like, you know, what worth was what I had to offer. And I can tell you that yesterday afternoon until this morning, I started feeling like that again. And... Um, I know people have been praying, I've got encouragement from Will, and the kids prayed for me this morning, and so I do feel um, empowered by the Lord to share with you today, but it doesn't come easy uh, for me. And actually, it's really funny, Pe- uh, Peggy and I were chuckling, because if you look at my note cards, look at what they look like now. I had a little spill on them like 15 minutes ago. So <laughs> um, this is actually gives me encouragement I probably really do need to share um, and I need to, to get over it here, um, even if I can't read my note cards. The unity that we have here at the spring is very special. Um, something that I've noticed in the last few days is a lot of you, I'm sure, are familiar with what's been happening in Hagerstown um, with, you know, kind of an uproar against authority and, and, you know, things like that challenging. And wherever you stand with that, The last song we sang, I am a child of God, I am a child of God, and that's what unifies all of us here this morning. We're all children of God, and so it's really neat to be in a place where no matter where your relationship is with Jesus, you're a child of God, and so you need to hear that today. Um, Thanks for worship this morning, Jeff and the team, it was just really fun and beautiful. I'm going to start with my journey. Um, When I was 12 years old is when I first started pondering or spending any time thinking about God. Was there a God? Who was this God? Um, At 12 years old, I got fatally ill um, or seriously ill. And I was dying. I was healthy. Um, all of a sudden, I had gotten sick, and um, within a few weeks, I was dying. And what had happened with me? I had contracted a virus, um, and within about two weeks' time, I was in congestive heart failure, and not doing not doing well at all. Um, at that time, how faith looked in our family is my mother would often take my sister and I to church. Um, Dad would occasionally go, but mostly mom would. And um, so I knew that there was a God. That wasn't ever a doubt in my mind. I knew there was a God. I don't remember ever in my life thinking there wasn't a God. Um, And I'm sure that that comes from having a, a mother from a young age who made sure we had that commitment to learning about him. Um, but it, that was basically it. I had a fear of God, um, and our family we had we had fear. Um, grew up with a dad who was very firm, uh, a lot of consequences were based on uh, behavior um, and moment to moment you know judgment calls and things like that and so my view of God it was really easy for me to parallel that relationship and view God in a way that he was. Big, and he was strong, and his mind about me could change at any moment. Um, As I was ill and in the hospital, um, I had actually was playing softball at that time and had a coach come who was a pastor. And that coach came to see me, and what I really remember about that time was that he took time with me and prayed with me, and he anointed me for healing. I didn't understand what any of that meant, but I know in that moment I felt loved. I felt like someone had reached out beyond themselves and took the time to ask for healing for me, to to go out of their way. And um, that was probably one of my first experiences with feeling like this relationship with God could actually be something loving toward me. Um, As I was ill, I ended up needing a heart transplant because my heart was so sick. Um, I waited about two months, was able to get that heart transplant um, at the loss of a beautiful young man who was a year older than me. His name is Michael. Um, He ended up passing away um, as he was riding his bike with his brothers. He was on a vacation at the New Jersey Shore. And went out around one of his brothers and got hit. And because of the sacrifice of that family and the love of that family, I was able to continue living my physical life. Um, and have the opportunity to grow and know a savior. I had a physical savior already, right? I had this physical young man who died for me, um, And I was able to kind of grasp that a little bit at that age. Um, But as I've grown with the Lord, I've learned that that was one part of who I am um, in my actual salvation. As I grew past the transplant, I was in middle school. I was a sixth grader, so then I went into seventh grade. And um, kind of continued through most of my middle school and high school life feeling very much like an outcast. Uh, It was very different from my friends. Here I was one moment, um, the girl who could be active and, you know, run around and do all these things. And the next moment, I was someone who then had limits placed on me and restrictions, um, a pile of medications, and just a different life of risk. Um, You know, having a transplant is very risky, and so I started living in this place of vulnerability and weakness, um, which I still struggle with some today, but um, as you'll learn as I continue here this morning, um, definitely been a lot of growing past that. But my life was really based on appearance and friends, which it often is in middle school and high school. So I know you guys here who are young can understand where I'm coming from with that. Day-to-day struggles were very big, you know. a bad day was a really, really bad day, like, earth-shattering day, um, and, hey, buddy. <laughs> this is my friend. I forget your name now. You told me Dustin. Dustin came up when I was sitting here before I started and said, are you going to do comedy? <laughs> so, I said, I don't know, maybe I'll make you laugh a little bit. <laughs> um So really just in a fragile state. I think on the outside, um, you know, in spite of the scars and things like that, I think I looked um, like a very happy, saved, healed young girl. Um, In many ways, I was. But spiritually and emotionally, I was in a very, very weak place. Um, In high school, uh, Young Life was a local ministry that we still have here today. Um, I got to be a part of that in high school, and so I started learning more about this Jesus Um, I had heard the name. But beyond that, didn't really have a lot of connection there. And so as I went to Young Life meetings and I was there with my leaders and friends, um, then I started gaining more head knowledge about who he was. um, But I started gaining a little bit more perspective into the fact that there was this love. Because who would die for someone, I mean, that was just crazy to me that, that there would be, um, you know, that God would send his son and he would die for us. And what was that all about? And so I began starting to try to process through that. Um, I did accept Jesus as my savior when I was 16 at a Young Life camp. Um, but I still very much was continuing in um, feeling like that love was based on circumstances. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that. Uh, if, if things were going well for me, then I must have somehow found favor in the eyes of God. If not, then what was I doing wrong or what did I need to change? Um, not yet really grasping the fullness of the love that Jesus has for us. Um, ended up becoming a nurse after high school because I was so well taken care of when I was sick. Um, actually worked in the PICU at Hershey, so I got take a got to take care of kids who were like myself at the time when I was 12, and I was um, really ill, and that was very rewarding for me to be able to go back and to be able to love on those families and to feel like I could actually have something that I could um, kind of partner with them with, with sharing um, a little bit about knowing where their child was coming from. Um, Will and I ended up getting married soon after I graduated from nursing school, And we had started dating in high school. And our relationship was probably one of the first ones that I realized that my lack of having Jesus as king. I had him as savior, right? Sixteen years old, was able to grasp that I needed that salvation. But in our relationship, I was able to realize that without Jesus as king, that I had some major relational issues, (laughs) Um, we're very different from each other. And I don't know, any of you that know us really well have probably picked up on that a little bit. Um, A lot of the same goals in life, but different personalities, different ways of, you know, approaching things, different ways of, you know, handling stuff. And what was one of the hardest things for me with Will, and I mean this in such a loving way at this point, (laughs) Was that I, I? felt like I wasn't pampered. I felt like I, you know, I had this idealistic view of what a husband would be for me, and um, even though I knew Will was hundred percent committed, I wasn't treated like a princess. Right? So I was disappointed, and I was angry. Um, I didn't really know how to do with, what to do with all that. Developed a very critical spirit. Um, the song Amazing Grace sticks in my head as a song that's kind of like my life song, like save a wretch like me. Yeah, because here I was entered into this beautiful relationship and I was angry and I was resentful. Once again, I felt like because I didn't have this, and, and y'all need to hear me today. If you don't have the connection with God where you've realized the unconditional love he has for you, it's really hard for you to love someone else, to, to love a human being at all. And he was wise enough to point out probably a few years into our marriage, as I was going down this road of, you know, nothing this man could do was right, because I was holding on to so much frustration about what wasn't, that he said to me, um, you know, I'm always going to disappoint you. Like, you're going to find something, and I'm going to disappoint you, but God won't. And so, as we all have those light bulb moments, that was definitely one of those moments where I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, he's right. He's absolutely right. I could find anything, you know, to be wrong. And that was, in essence, putting me up on a pedestal. If I'm finding something wrong, so much wrong with someone else then that means my view of myself is way too high. At the same time, it was way too low, if you understand what I mean. Sometimes when we feel our lowest and the least about ourselves, we somehow, to help ourselves feel better, look and find the things about others that we can somehow justify where we're at in our walk. We did a study, or I did part of a study, and we talked about it a lot together because at the time, a few years into our marriage, um, Will was leading youth ministry, and I had not yet stepped into that role with him. And so I was participating in a study called Love and Respect, where um, in the study, it's pointed out how men really need to be respected, women really need loved, how that looks, and things like that. And so I think that was probably part of the next step of me coming to a place where I could realize kind of the Mars and Venus, you know, of men and women were very different from each other. Um, kind of what he needed, what I needed, and that I was dealing with control big time. Um, if you remember, I was 12 years old, and kind of my earth was rocked, lost pretty much, you know, what was valuable to me, and, or what I thought was valuable to me with my health. Um, those of you who haven't had your health know how if, when you don't have your health, it sometimes feels like you don't have anything and really was still living in that place, um, but through my experience with will and you know as I was growing closer to knowing more friends in church and they were speaking into my life, um, I was able to kind of start pinpointing that I was didn't have control over here, you know with health and things, so then I was trying to grab control where I could, and so what that looked like was you know if I could somehow you know get this this guy you know that's my husband to to fill me up then that would take place of what I was missing over here so I started putting the pieces together and you know we started on a, a road of healing and I have to say that road is still something that I backstep on today just yesterday I had one of those days where I felt unloved and so he spoke to me and said it's a lie it's a lie and I said Oh, whatever, you know, and continued with my day and felt how I felt. Like, easy for you to say. (laughs) Uh, But we we continued on a journey of then, you know, wanting to have children. I was told when I was young that I wouldn't be able to have children because of my transplant. And so before we even got married, we thought about adopting um, and really had our heart on Romania. And at the time that we were planning on adopting, Romania had doors that were shut um, and... It had been at least about, uh, let me think here, eighty-nine, ninety-nine, over ten years, close to fifteen, between ten and fifteen years since my transplant. And one day, I thought, you know what? That was that was like fifteen years ago that I was told that. So I did a little bit of research and saw that a few women, two two other women, had had um, children after having their transplant and so looked into how they did, and they had both done really well, and so we talked, and we approached uh, my cardiologist, who gave us his blessing to have to have children, um, had a, a beautifully strong heart, which, I, which I've had since my transplant, and doing really well, um, and so he gave us the go-ahead to go ahead and, and try planning to have our children. Um, Zachary, Is in the back there, and he was born in 2002. He's now 13, and then Wesley in 2005, Um, and he is 11. And miracles, just beautiful miracles. We never expected them, Um, you know, blessed to have them, and they have grown up so quick in front of us, just so fastly. Um, Pretty much healthy pregnancies, um, followed at high risk. Uh, at Hershey, and they were both born fairly healthy. Just some minor issues that that they had had. Um, but once again, because of my lack of having a king, I was in a place during my pregnancies, being a high risk pregnancy, pregnancy each time, where I was on bed rest and you know couldn't do what my friends who were pregnant were able to do and things like that the thought process of, I'm not normal, once again, there's, you know, um, I'm kind of cast aside, you know, I I, I don't quite fit the picture of what I think I should, so I still had this, you know, picture in my mind of of, um, wanting this normal pregnancy, and it wasn't, and, and, you know, I look back now, and I think, woman, what? What was that all about? You know, you had these miracles, these children. You never thought you'd have them. But you have to understand that not being in a place of having a king gives you a lot of room to try to want things how you want them, how you think they should be. To go back to old, ugly ways um, and... To live in, in a way where you're wandering. And that's really what it is. I would liken it to the Israelites in the days of Moses with wandering. Where, I'm happy. Today I have manna. Oh, tomorrow, look, we have manna again. And I'm not happy with it now. One day was enough. Let alone all these days. And so just an unsettled spirit, ungrateful spirit... Um, and me sharing all this with you today is like really raw and open, and I feel comfortable doing that because you're my family. And so, um, you know, I decided when I was going to share that I wasn't going to make it just like this pretty package of um, everything. So I trust that you're hearing hearing my heart with this. Um, the definition of faith confident belief in the truth, value, or trustworthiness of a person, idea, or thing. Um, so as I began reflecting, why am I having such a hard time trusting God? Why, you know, can't I fully let him have things? Um, I started thinking of these qualities of him. Uh, you know, he's so faithful and loving, and I could read all these things, and, and I had head knowledge of all these things. Um, but I was still not connecting. My human relationships were not perfect. And so how could he be perfect, right? My I had people that had, you know, friends that had left me, people in my life who had let me down, um, you know, just often felt alone. And it didn't matter if I was with people who loved me. That's where I was. And so still not being re- able to relate Fully to that unconditionalness of the Lord. Um, in December 2005, Wesley was six months old, and I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And uh, I just want to give you all a little bit of encouragement this morning with a phrase that is often said to people with good intentions in time of hardship. Um, that phrase is "You've been through so much already." Okay, I want to encourage you to watch saying that Um, it comes from such good place and I know myself I have spoken that but I can tell you if you are speaking into the life of someone who's in a very fragile place who has already felt like they've been keeping tallies of all the things that they've been through and maybe when they get to five or ten like surely they'll be done and not have to keep going through it that comment can really take them off guard and throw them off. I know for me, um, I look back and I I think of all the times I've been told that, and and I think, you know, without being grounded in Christ, you can take that, and it can also become, like, it can, it can start to become kind of a, a place of anger and frustration to the Lord. Yeah, they're in agreement with me, God. They're in agreement with me that this has just been one more thing. Right? This has just been one more thing. And so it kind of confirms in an individual who doesn't have that strong of a relationship, which is where I was, that God can't be trusted. Uh, I was very fortunate to be in a church family at that time that that were encouraging and spoke truth. And so those, those thoughts of abandonment, although they, they were there, were met with a lot of truth at that time, too. Um, the treatment for my thyroid cancer was isolation from my family for about 10 days, um, about two weeks. And so I spent the time with my mom and her husband Um, kind of shut in a room because I had had some radiation and things and couldn't be around anyone. And I can tell you right now that those two weeks of heartache were probably the most beautiful time in my life because I couldn't be busy, which is my way of continuing on and not dealing with things, is to just be busy. Um, When I'm having, you know, yesterday I told you I had a rough afternoon. I couldn't find enough to do, and you know, I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. This, like, I think I already put this cup here, like, you know, five times. You know, like, just it's like those old old habits that we can have. Um, and I couldn't do that. I, I had to rest. I was sick. It made me really sick, and I was tired. And so, um, I started off that journey with those two weeks, once again, frustrated, lonely, abandoned. Um, Now, was I abandoned? No, but I felt abandoned. Um, You know, felt like I couldn't be a mama to these children that we so long had hoped to have and kind of had placed myself in a role in their life that only God wanted to be in their life. Uh, So I started studying um, a little bit more about who the Lord was. And studying the life of Jesus and, and these are some of the things I found He was far from normal um, When he lived here on the earth He was mocked, abandoned by those closest to him Beaten, crucified um, He performed miracles And through all this I start realizing You know what, we have some similarities here You know, we have similarities This, this is, This is the Son of God who performs miracles at the same time when he lived on earth he cried, he hurt I believe he still sheds tears for us there was a relatable part of Jesus that I started learning about and I started realizing that I didn't just have to know about him and you know say a prayer and accept him as my savior but I could actually have this relationship I could have a relationship where I could cry out to him and I could be responded to. Um, In Christ's weakest moment on the cross, he displayed the most strength. And so in my suffering, um, my times of hurting, and I I realized I could relate to, um, in just a small degree, never fully relate to what he went through but really in a small degree to the hurt um, and the abandonment that I felt and knowing that if he did his greatest work for all of us in his moment of weakest physicalness, right, beaten, dying, then that possibly I could carry some of that same power in me during those times too because of him. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. And um, I'm going to talk with you a little bit about grace. Grace is something I think can often get confused with mercy, and we talk kind of back and forth between the two. But I did a little bit of studying and thinking about grace this week, because I the question came to my mind, why would a just God continue to be by my side as I kept wavering? I kept not trusting, right? Why Why? Why continue to be there? And you know what? The, def- the word for that is grace. Grace is the free and undeserved favor of God. I'm going to read to you in Romans now. And if you want to, you can turn with me. It's Romans 5. And I think that this just really explains beautifully um, The love of God and the grace that He has for us. We're going to look at Romans 5, 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not because that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we have been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. So, What I can grab from that, and there's um, lyrics to a song, and I can't think of what the song is, but I, I just heard it the other day. There's no valley, there's no darkness, there's no sorrow greater than the grace of Jesus. There's no place that you can be. There's nothing I can do, there's nothing that you can do to cause God to walk away from you when you believe in him. When you believe that Jesus was sent for you died on the cross for you so that you can have unity with the Lord. So as I'm going through this journey and I've dealt with the cancer and I'm healing from that and I'm processing through this, then I'm, I'm starting to realize that I have someone that I can trust. That the one of the hardest times in my life was actually one of the times when God had me to himself. And spoke to me about his love for me. So my circumstances didn't change, but my perspective started to change. I started realizing that suffering and pain wasn't a value judgment on me. There wasn't something about me that made this big pointed finger cause things to happen to me. Um. That the truth is actually in Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I I was able to actually begin um, understanding that a little bit more fully, knowing that um, God allowed these things because it was part of building me to be the woman that he created me to be. From the time I was in my mother's womb, we were saying about this morning, right? God had this beautiful plan. Um, Part of cancer treatment is you go back a few months later and you have a scan to see where you're at with that. And um, my first... um, so I'll talk to you a little bit about my view of Father God, and now I have this relationship with Jesus. and So I'm missing still the part about the Holy Spirit. And my first um, connection with the Holy Spirit was as I went into that scan. Um, I was told by my doctor who gave me the treatment that my surgeon, I had my thyroid taken out first before I had the treatment. And... Uh, the endocrinologist said, "You know what? He said that that uh, treatment is probably not going to be complete because the surgeon left too much of that tissue behind—that thyroid tissue that he was supposed to remove. He left too much behind on you. And uh, okay, is that common? No. So you're going to need more treatment. You know, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to need more treatment after this. And you know, I told you I was isolated from my family, and I had a six-month-old baby, and..." Um, you know a uh, almost three year old son at that time, and so okay <sighs> here we go, um, but you know it was a little different that time because I had started growing to this place of trusting the Lord, and so the questions instead of why were now what does what okay what what like what what 's going on what does this mean what do I do um, and for the first time um, I heard the Holy Spirit speak. I went to go into that scan, and I was praying. And I think I had been praying for quite some time to hear the Lord speak to me um, through the Holy Spirit. But I don't think I ever actually shut up in my head to allow that to happen. Um, Yeah, so I actually was listening that time. And still. And scared to death. Um, And three words, and it's the same three words that Jesus spoke on the cross. It is finished. And I was floored. I had actually felt it wasn't an audible voice, which it could be, right? We can hear audible voices of God. It was spirit to spirit, it is finished. So, as I left that day, I didn't have the results until, like, the next week or so. Um, Pretty sure I had shared with Will about that. And um, that day of the scan, I was supposed to bring a packed bag. Because had they seen it, had they saw that day, actually, they did know the results that that day. Because had they saw that day any leftover cancer, I was going to have to stay. Um, to have the treatment and stay in the hospital. And so leading up to that, um, I felt like I wasn't even supposed to pack, pack a bag. And I didn't know why that was. And so when I had that confirmation message, it was like, well, that would have been a waste of time. You know, that would have been a total waste of time. And that was a faith journey for me, to feel like I would go to pack and I'm not supposed to pack. Why am I not supposed to pack? I don't understand this. You know, and then to go and to hear from the Lord speak in that way was the most beautiful thing um, so, I just want to share with you some truths that I have come to realize during that time. Um, I started realizing i'm loved, I started realizing that I'm a princess um, I started realizing that he thought of those two boys before I never before I ever I ever did before I even knew about them. So I could let go a little bit of control with that. A lot of control, hopefully still working on that one. Um, that he had handpicked Michael. Michael was my organ donor. And in that very moment that Michael took his last breath, he was going to be breathing life into me. And that that family that lost that son is now my family. Because we are now close and connected, and we have that special relationship, which is really neat. And I know that that is because the Lord has allowed that. Um, I also was able to realize that the cancer that I had was perfect for someone who had a transplant. I didn't have chemotherapy. I had radiation uh, very isolated to the area, though it made me very sick for a while. um, It could have been much worse. So that was definitely a gift um, I had dealt with some panic attacks over time um, and just, I think, overwhelmed, you know, young mama dealing with a lot of different emotions and things like that and and uh, had a really neat moment with the Holy Spirit through that time of counseling where, um, as we were praying together, my counselor, who was a, a Christian counselor, said, I would really like it if we took this time and you would, you know, pray and ask God to, um, that you would think of a moment where you felt the most abandoned. And so I was able to think of that moment. Okay. All right. And he said, where's Jesus in that picture? And I thought he wasn't there, you know, this was when I was 12 and I was in a Um, er waiting room by myself my parents had been pulled out to get the results of how i was and i was sitting by myself looking at an x-ray of a heart that took up my whole chest and felt very alone and you know what i closed my eyes and i asked the lord to show himself to me in that moment and he was right by my side he was by my side loving me and i didn't even know him know about him know he was there he was there And I guarantee for all of you, when you've had times that you felt abandoned, you weren't by yourself. You were not alone. So we now have a daughter, Jalissa. She's over there, Um, 17 years old. It's kind of hard to believe. Um, We were led into the adoption of Jalissa. I know it's past 12, so bear with me, ma'am finishing Um, but we love teens we've been working with teens for years and so we entered into the process of fostering to adopt um, mainly out of obedience we really felt like the Lord was asking us um, to be obedient in reaching out to a child and we knew that that child when she would be placed in our home would be part of our family Um, and she has been since she's been placed in our home um, I think that my experience with the Lord has been really helpful in my ability to be able to be a mama to Jalissa she doesn't know I'm sharing these things until now <laughs> but when you don't have relationship with someone or something it's hard to trust right um You may grow up and say, you know, oh, I I trust my parents. If that relationship somehow is broken down, that trust is not actually 100% genuine. Um, So as this young lady came into our home and um, was really, really having a hard time, coming from a really hard place, um, I was able to see with her as I grew to know her more that it was going to take a while to build trust with us. Um, What I had felt in my life In my spirit as abandonment She actually physically had to deal with um, With lots of changes and things like that in her life And so I guess I want to encourage you In in the fact that if you've gone through hard times Don't cast them aside Use them Use them as powerful tools to help others Um, I think her and I have a relationship that um, I'm able to more fully embrace now because I'm able to know when when she's not 100% loving toward me, although it's hard, there's more to her story than, than what I even can ever fully grasp. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. I think we're going to go ahead. Um, thanks for listening to my journey. Um, Zach is going to play one of my favorite songs for you all to listen to. It's called Here's My Heart by Lauren Daigle. And um, I'm going to challenge you with a question. You can just sit in your seats and listen to it, but I want to challenge you with a question to ask yourself um, as you're listening. And that is, what do you hold above Jesus? For me, Over the years, it's been my children. It's been what I thought was this idealistic relationship with my husband. Um, It's been my health. So if you can process through what in your life you may, even if it's momentarily, you may hold in that position. Um, I challenge you to not only think of that, but to hand that over to the Lord so that he can have that because um, like I've shared, he, from day one, had it all planned, had it all together for me. It just has taken me a, a while to realize it and to embrace it and to fully enter into relationship with him to know that he is on my side and by my side. So, I'm going to pray, and then Zach, you can play that song. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the time that I had to share my journey with you with our family here, I pray that you would speak to them in a very powerful way about how you feel about them, uh, how you feel about each one, and uh, what it is in their life that you would like to take the place of and fill for them. It's an honor to be by your side today, sharing